Welcome to the Money Morning Podcast. Today I'll be talking with Paul Cronin of Adriatic Metals. Adriatic Metals has a polymetallic deposit in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And this is particularly interesting because the commodity space is definitely heating up with fears around inflation. So Paul, I was just wondering if you could give us a bit more about your background and the project you're working on. Okay, sure. But I've um, you know, been uh, banking in the natural resource sector um, for quite a while. Um, yeah. Uh, primarily based in, in Europe. Um, I was working for a South African fund in London. Um, when I, uh, as I've sort of watched the European mining sector develop over the over the years, it's been ups and downs. Um, you know, the Europeans have incredibly high environmental standards. A lot of the general communities don't like mining. Um, uh, but over the years, we've started to see policy change a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen the European Union develop a critical minerals list uh, where they've basically banned exports of certain minerals. Um, and, uh, and I think with, with COVID, it really hammered home how fragile our supply chains are. Um, what we've seen as a result of that is probably a little bit more protectionism um, around natural resources. Um, and that's been the same in, in Europe. Um, so I was always looking for a, an asset to acquire in Europe. And I wasn't quite sure I wanted to make the leap uh, into the European Union. I, I was involved in another asset uh, inside of an Indian country. And, and it was very challenging moving forward. Um, and so we started looking in the Balkans. So the Balkans obviously sits on the end of the Tethian mineral belt, which sort of runs right through Turkey uh, and into, uh, into uh, Central Asia. Um, and that Tethian mineral belt is host to some of the world's best mineral deposits. Um, the interesting thing about the former Yugoslav countries is that Yugoslavia had phenomenal infrastructure. I mean, it, was, it was an amazing place. Uh, in its heyday, um, uh, but obviously in the early 90s when it started to break up, um, you know, there's been a, a withdrawal of foreign direct investment, there's been a withdrawal of industry, um, and that create, created opportunities. And you could, you could go there and you could potentially find historical deposits that were not allowed um, and apply more modern techniques to them. And that's what we did here in Bosnia. Um, we literally... Um, you know, got archive boxes of data, uh, digitized it and analyzed it, um, and then decided that we thought that there might be something more there, and, and we were right and we were successful. Um, the basket of commodities, however, was a bit of a surprise to us. Um, we knew that it would be med zinc. We thought initially um, it would be, uh, you know, a VMS uh, uh, deposit, but we didn't have any historic drill core to, to look at and verify. Um, but as we started to drill it out, we realised it was, it was something um, more complex in terms of its structure. Um, and it also had very high-grade um, quantities of silver and gold. Um, uh, and I think it, it, we've then started to look at the deposit more really as a silver deposit than, than a zinc deposit, even though you know, zinc makes up, makes, makes up about 30% of the revenue. Um, silver makes up about 35, gold's about 15, and then you've got med. Uh, copper, barite, um, that make up the balance. Um, and I think it was interesting because, you know, we, we, we love to see 
typically a bit of a sort of cyclical hedge um, between base and precious metals. You know, when the world, we saw this in 2008 in particular, when there is a financial crisis, um, precious metals rocket. I mean, silver was up at $50 a, an ounce um, in 2011. Um, and when the world's doing well, base metals rocket. Um, and I think we're in an unusual situation at the moment. Um, you know, we, we've never seen a period like we have in the last 12 months or so where governments have had to borrow a lot. Um, and they've had to print a lot. <clears throat> um, and to get themselves back on a solid economic footing, I think the general view is that they're going to have to continue spending, continue running up deficits, uh, and um, uh, and do that with the, with the flux of money that's already been printed. Uh, and that is going to lead to, to an increase in, in both base metals and precious metals um, uh, in terms of their pricing. Um, and we've certainly seen that over the last year with gold, you know, coming up near 2000. Silver's yeah. gone from sort of 12 or $14 up to about 26, 27. Um, zinc prices have, have gone from 2300 to 2900. Uh, lead's up over 2000. Copper is, is almost at record highs again. Um, uh, and so we're pretty pleased with our timing on this. Um, you know, yeah. Somewhat, we didn't plan COVID. We did, we didn't. Um, no one did. You know, we didn't expect that to happen. But um, you know, the the impact of that means that we're coming into a uh, into a cycle where both base and precious metals are, are really well priced, and 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 we are going to see inflation, and and obviously gold in particular is an inflation hedge. Silver is a more interesting commodity. Um, yeah. In that, it obviously has a it has a precious metals component. That you know, you can pick up a, a UK bank note, and that and it says on the bottom of the note that you know the government of Bank of England will pay you in gold and silver. Um, yes, yeah, silver has always been something that's underwritten currency. Um, but what we're also seeing at the moment um, is obviously a huge push toward electric vehicles, and silver is vital um, because it has specific conductive properties um, for for rapid charging. Um, and I think that's what's pushing silver demand. And then if you look at zinc at the moment, you know, the treatment charges globally for zinc smelters uh, are very, very low, uh, as are copper. And that indicates to us that smelters can't find price. You know, there is a, there is a surge in demand um, and there just isn't enough supply. And ultimately, that is going to lead to, to higher pricing. Um, no doubt about it. Um, so we're, we're, we're pretty fortunate, I think, to, to have that basket of commodities um, here in Bosnia. And then over in Serbia, um, which I guess was a little bit of an opportunistic acquisition by me, I, I'd known this project for a while. I'd been seeing it flounder um, uh, because like so many small Canadian companies, um, you know, they raise money, they do a little bit of work, they pay a lot of salaries. Uh, and nothing really moves forward. Um, but they were sitting on an asset that, that we thought had similar characteristics to what we had in Bosnia. Um, Sorry, Paul, what's, what's uh, the name of the, the project in Serbia? I, I didn't catch it. We call it the Raska Project. Okay. Uh, R-A-S-K-A, um, named after the little town that it's, that it's near, near to. Um, and so we decided to, to acquire that company. Um, I 
spoke to the major shareholders and said, look, you know, we think we can move this forward. Um, we'll buy it for you, hear from you in shares in Adriatic. You'll be, you know, you'll still have a, an equity exposure to the success of the project. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately it was voted through to 99.9%. Um, uh, so we've, we picked that up in October. Um, and since then, we've been, you know, pretty active on it. We've, we've drilled, I think, close to about 15,000 metres now. Um, we've taken what was a, a small historic um, resource of around 4 million tonnes, um, and we have grown that quite substantially. Um, and it is it is looking like it's a it's a good pipeline project for us. You know, once we get the Varish project in Bosnia uh, into production, that team that we have put together to do that will all will then just move two hundred kilometres down the road, and we'll build the build the project in Serbia. And again, you know, just phenomenal infrastructure. It's got power, water. It's got a railway line um, to all port. I mean, these things, you know they're unheard of um you know yeah. when you look at the the big iron ore um projects in 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 northern uh northwestern australia i mean you know they were not economic until bhp and rio basically built you know a billion dollar railway line well, we've got it all there um and uh and i think that's put us in a really strong position certainly the margins um on the Barris project, because we have done quite a lot of work on the economics through scoping study, pre-feasibility, and we're now completing a definitive feasibility, uh, are very robust. Um, yeah, I, I saw the numbers, uh, Paul. It was, it was quite impressive. Uh, the IRR, I believe, was uh, the internal rate of return, for those who don't know, was sitting at about 113%, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. On a, on a relatively modest upfront capital. Um, and we're going through the process at the moment of putting that bank financing together. Um, I'm, I'm here in Bosnia with a bunch of guests who are, who are looking at financing that. Um, uh, and we'll complete the definitive feasibility in June. Uh, and I think, you know, commence construction later in this summer. So end of July, August. Um, uh, so you know, that, that project will start seeing cash flow early B3. Um, because of its high grade, um, because of commodity prices being where they are, it will pay the back that debt probably in the first year. Um, uh, and that will allow us to take the excess cash flow from the early tree of production and invest it in our project in Serbia. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the deposit that we've found here in, in Bosnia, these sorts of deposits tend to repeat, um, you know, depending on where you've got things structurally and geochemically. You know, we know that this deposit sits between two folds um, uh, and we know how it got there. And, and therefore, we know what to look for in terms of finding where that deposit was repeated somewhere else. And they typically repeat close by, which is why last year I begged and pleaded the Bosnian government to give me a new mineral concession that covered the entire known mineral belt in Bosnia. And um, and they said to me, you know, Paul, this would be the biggest mineral concession we've ever awarded. Um, you know, if, if we didn't have confidence in you that you will actually go and do the work there, that you'll make the investment to find those repeats, we wouldn't have given it to you. So there's a strong trust between the company and the government here. Um, they've seen what we've done. Um, you know, we've employed a lot of local staff. You know, we now have 
over 60 staff here in Bosnia. Um, more than half of those live in the local town. Um, we tried to recruit as many young people as we can because Bosnia has a, a problem and they call it the brain drain. Um, where all of these kids are going through school, they're going to university, they still can't find a job, they do a master's degree, and then they end up going and working in a factory in Germany or Austria or somewhere um, because they, they just know opportunities. And we made a conscious decision that rather than bring in uh, or recruit from the existing mining industry here, we're going to recruit straight out of university and we're going to train them up. And that has two advantages. Um, one is it stops that brain drain. <clears throat> Um, it gives you a lot of staff loyalty because this is their first job. They get you, know, <clears throat> you get to shape them culturally as to how you want them to operate. Uh, but means that I can also shape the health and safety culture, uh, which for me is really vital. I mean, we can we can have people thinking health and safety all the time because in our industry it's vital that you do that. Um, and I think you know they, those things that we've done. Um, which have a you know there's a strong business rationale for them, have been really well received by the Bosnian government because of their impact on the local communities. Um, has been a very positive one. Um, you know we have staff now that are you know, when I hired them they were you know 24 years old straight out of university. They're married. They're having children. These are the first children born in this town in the last 30 years. Amazing. Um, and uh, you know and that's that is. We are a, a big motivation for the way we're trying to do things. We're trying to encourage people that we employ to move into the municipality, to move into the town, bring you, bring your family. Um, it's a great place to live. There's lots of accommodation available here because it used to be a town of thirty thousand people. It's now seven thousand. Um, we're encouraging our suppliers. We're saying, look, you know, if we contracted you to do all this fabrication work for us, would you set up a small factory in 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 Barrett. um and they go yeah we, we would you know if we if we all if we're awarded that contract and so what the whole idea of sustainability for us is not just about really strong environmental stewardship it's really strong sort of social interaction um, and economic interaction so trying to get more than just our direct employees and um, you know showing a, a having an economic benefit on the local community it's about trying to get our suppliers to create more industry in our local community and offer more opportunities rather than just what we could do alone. <clears throat> um, and we've, we've talked about that vision quite a lot. We talked about it with um, what is now one of our, our largest shareholders, um, the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development, about how we want to use these policies um, and implement them in a way that will create you know, a sustainable economy in this in this area. And we know that there are other initiatives, that there are extensions of the railway line up to Belgrade. We know that if we work with some of the shipping companies uh, in terms of containerizing uh, our materials from, from Barish down to Ploche, that that will open up, you know, import-export routes into the Sarajevo region that haven't been there in the past. Um, and so the whole project is saying, well, this is what we need, but if there's a little bits that happen around the side of it um, to support it, we'll actually have a multiplier effect on, on, on the local economy. That's what you um, and that's, that's great. Yeah, and that's, that's what we're trying to achieve here. Um, we've been working with EBRD, the group in London called Critical Resource, who are ESG consultants to the industry. 
um, on how we how we deploy that. And at the same time, we're still looking all the time at how do we reduce our energy usage? How much solar power can we get installed here? Where can we buy more hydroelectricity from? Um, you know, trying to keep the you know a really strong environmental footprint on the project as well. Electric electrification fleet where possible. Uh, how do we alter the gradients of all roads so that they you know those trucks use less diesel? All of those little things that we're trying to do to minimise our carbon emissions um, as we as we go into that sort of detailed engineering phase. Well, that's that's an absolutely fascinating overview of the overall project, as well as the sort of macro factors that you talked about. I, I noticed you discussed inflation and your belief that inflation is coming. I'm also of that belief, and uh, it's been one of the themes we've talked about quite a lot in our editorials. Uh, you, you mentioned that you've got sort of this polymetallic resource that has both uh, an inflation hedge in the form of gold and industrial metals as well as silver. I was just wondering, do you see your, your, your company benefiting from a variety of scenarios? And if that's the case, um, how, how do you see ADT developing in the, the coming few years? If, as a as a mine operator, you you have no choice but to be price agnostic. You it is what it is. Um, you've got to you've got to take it. You can make a decision to hedge. I mean, we're certainly not going to hedge uh, in these markets because we believe both base and precious metals will will increase substantially over the next few years. Um, the challenge here um, in, in this sort of cycle is you see a, you know, well you do see an increase in M and A activity. And the, and the challenge for us, we're in a, we, you know, we're a company with with growth plans. You know, we we tend to be a, a, a you know a European mining company of substantial size, focused on Europe. And the challenge here is for us to not get too impatient and start buying assets at the top of the market. Um, you know, we would still like to look for assets like what we've got. Um, where there's a little bit of historical work and three or four years of drilling, and you've got yourself an economic deposit, and off you go. Um, to that end, we, you know, we, we're obviously doing a lot of exploration work this year. That's key to our growth platform. Um, we have uh, twenty million dollars of budget allocated to exploration, US dollars. So that's a, you know, for a junior company, that's a big chunky budget. But we're also going to be picking up uh, new mineral concessions in Bosnia. Um, and potentially in Serbia. We're also looking at some of the historical operations that were in Kosovo um, for where we might be able to do very low-cost acquisitions that with a little bit of investment and drilling, um, we can you know, we can prove up new deposits. Um, there are other opportunities uh, in Europe uh, for acquisitions in, in both electric ED metals, uh, in precious metals that, that we're looking at as well. Um, but we've got a lot to do this year and next, um, and our focus is going to be get the Varish project into production, get it producing the cash flow, um, and then I think we'll, you know, we'll continue to evaluate those assets and we'll continue to refine our view on them. Um, and if we think it's the right time um, and at the right price, um, you know, we will we will we'll go on and, and expand our uh, our asset base. That's so important for. Uh... Because you're certainly not early stage at all. You're actually quite advanced in your project. And getting that cash flow going early is often quite a high priority 
for mining companies such as yourselves, because it, I guess it just sort of adds that extra confidence to the project. And then, uh, and then you can build from there. So you, your, your foundation would be the Varish project, and then you'd move on to Serbia. And, and then you mentioned you're looking at EV, EV battery metals. Is, is that the case? And, uh, and that, there's an immense amount of excitement around that kind of thing at the moment. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually not familiar with the, the, uh, the various deposits in Eastern Europe, but is that something you could actually find in Serbia? Well, there is already a very large lithium project in Serbia owned by Rio Tinto. Um, there are other lithium deposits in Serbia. I think metallurgically they're probably a bit challenging, and I don't think I'm quite ready for that challenge yet. Rio Tinto's got, you know, an army of metallurgists stuffed away in a lab in Melbourne somewhere who can work this out, but uh, we don't. Um, uh, where I'm probably more going to focus on is nickel, uh, quite frankly. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and that's what we're, we're we're looking around for. Nickel and copper. One of the things I noticed in the nickel market recently was there's a development out of China where uh, they came up with a new processing uh, sort of approach to things, and then that had a significant adverse impact on the nickel price. I was just wondering if you had any further thoughts about nickel's long-term future as a as a battery metal, uh, as well as the sort of stainless steel side of things. There's been talk of technological disruption in the mining industry for you know, years and years. I remember probably 15 years ago, some Australian company came out and said, we can recover uranium from seawater. Um, that had a short-term impact on the market. But in reality, you know, the process for doing that might be technically possible, but it's economically unfeasible. Um, and I think in the same with some of these develops, developments that we've seen recently around nickel extraction, are going to prove to be the same. Um, you know, we've, we've seen technology in terms of leaching gold out of sulfides. Um, uh, yeah, it just doesn't work economically. Um, so all of those technological disruptions, I think, are always going to come to the core of, of how we do things. Um, the challenge for the industry is, is do it better and do it, do it cleaner and do it in a more environmentally sustainable way. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think nickel um, prices will continue to, to do pretty well. Um, uh, they're obviously, you know, substantially above where they were a year ago. Um, uh, and I think, you know, there, there's, there is a lot of opportunity there. And if you can find it, you know, happy days. Awesome. Well, I think I'll just leave it on that note, Paul. Um, it was a wonderful chat. We, we covered some very exciting specifics about your project in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that, that insight you gave us about sort of more, the more macro elements behind the various metals projects out there. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate your time today, Paul. And uh, I wish you all the best. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks very much. Nice talking to you. Well, that was a fascinating interview I had with Paul Cronin of Adriatic Metals. He shared some excellent insights on macroeconomic factors related to a variety of metals, and I really enjoyed his comments on nickel. Now, if you like this podcast or video, be sure to subscribe, comment, get in touch, and you'll hear from me soon.